Who's there? Nay, answer me. Stand and unfold yourself. Long live the king. I'm Zach Powers. And this is the first episode of Stage of Fools, the unofficial Royals podcast for the TV show The Royals on E! Uh, Each week, Zach and I are going to sit down and talk about an episode of this amazing show, which we will compare to Hamlet, because in terms of quality, they are identical. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Certainly. It it made the choice to, to... To be reminiscent of Hamlet, and it has to lie in that bed now. Uh, and they've really forced us to do that because every episode's title is a Hamlet quote. Going to add a little yeah. touch of class both to this podcast and to the TV show itself. Yeah. Some weeks we're going to have a guest, some weeks we won't. This week we are discussing Season 1, Episode 1, Stand and Unfold Yourself. The eldest son of the royal family of England, Prince Robert, a soldier, is killed in a military accident. Robert's mother, Queen Helena, pushes the family to put on a noble face for the public. But the kind-hearted King Simon is so devastated by his son's death, a death he blames on the pressures put on Prince Robert to uphold tradition by becoming a soldier, that he announces to his family that he would like to call for a referendum from Parliament that would give the British people the power to vote on whether or not the monarchy should be abolished entirely. Queen Helena and Simon's scheming brother Cyrus object to his choice, but his surviving children, Prince Liam, now heir to the throne, and Princess Eleanor, support his decision. Prince Liam embarks on a relationship with Ophelia, the American daughter of the palace's head of security. Queen Helena disapproves of the couple and makes an effort to separate them. Eleanor, a party girl who helicopters to Paris nightly and gets high and drunk regularly, is drugged and raped by her new bodyguard, Jasper, who uses a sex tape he filmed as blackmail to keep from losing his job. This week, we have a very special guest, because not only is he our first ever guest and an actual real-life British person, but he's our fabulous producer. You know him. You love him. Darren Husted. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Pretty darn good. As you can probably hear in my voice, I'm super sick, but hopefully our listeners won't be too disgusted on me on this first episode and will give us a chance anyway. (laughs) It's an extra long premiere episode, a full hour uh, I believe it's longer than usual anyway. It seemed to be when I watched it this afternoon. It felt long. It definitely did. It was rich with incident, shall we say. It's E's first scripted drama ever. I think that's yeah. something worth noting. And they started off strong, went ahead, and immediately intentionally compared it to maybe the greatest work by the maybe the greatest <laughs> English writer of all time. I like that start. they... You know, they believe in themselves. They believe yeah. in themselves. There's something to be said for that. Confidence. And I yeah. I think that um, it's no coincidence that in the very first scene of the first episode, the first character that we meet is Queen Helena, who's played by the actor who's definitely the show's biggest name, Elizabeth Hurley. Actually, probably the only actor really known, at least to American audiences, um, before the show premiered. Yes. Uh, Elizabeth um, Hurley as the Queen. Do you know what? I'm going to dispute that she's the biggest name. Maybe she's the most well-known actress, but in terms of box office, uh, Prince Liam is way up there because he was um, he was Peter in the um, uh, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the, oh yeah, I recognized him immediately. Yeah, where he also played a king, so he's used to playing royalty on screen. Hey, you know, it's, connections. It's like he's, He's got, like, a royal acting background. To be fair, I feel like this show is targeted at fairly young women, and Elizabeth Hurley's real heyday was, like, the mid-90s. So I feel like a lot of them may not remember her so super well. It's funny that you would bring that up, because the first uh, celebrity name drop in the show is the queen is, like, Elton John called, or someone tells her that Elton John (laughs) called, and I was like, oh, yes, so topical. I think that is one of the many kind of, like, um... Uh, not too subtle Diana references that this show plays on, um, particularly in this first episode. I mean, it is kind of replete with them, uh, kind of just echoes of Diana's kind of like life and mostly death, um, I think, in this yeah. episode. Um, 
I, yeah. I suppose, yeah, I, I could see that. I hadn't really thought of it that way um, in terms of a member of the royal family dies in this episode. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Well, to jump right in, um, the death of Prince Robert, the king and queen's oldest son, is pretty much the impetus for most of the action in this episode. And I agree with Darren that a lot of the uh, fake media coverage that we see in the episode of his death is definitely reminiscent of the Princess Diana media frenzy. What I think is really bizarre is that they didn't cast an actor to play Prince Robert in photographs. We never see yeah, a picture really, of him. I, I agree. That was a really weird choice to me. Like, it's really bizarre. It's hard to like picture him. Even I, I mean, I guess I imagine him looking like Prince Liam. But uh, you know, I was extremely young when Princess Diana died, and I'm also, if you couldn't tell by my horrifying Midwestern accent, I am an American. Sorry. I'm genuinely sorry. Um, but I feel like pictures of her were everywhere. Just oh, yeah. everywhere. Now, I, I mean, like, particularly like the kind of Monday, Tuesday after she died, every single paper in this country was just covered in pictures of her. They all had like supplements. And because it was, I think it was either the week of her 40th birthday or just after her 40th birthday. So she'd been in the press like the week before because she'd been on holiday. And so her face was, was it was everywhere the week before she died. And then it was everywhere for like the month after she died. Uh, and, you know, kind of ever since. <laughs> like, well, what I remember, that's, that's, that's true of America as well. Royal fever was contagious. It has spread here. Every time there's a new baby... <laughs> All over the news channels, even like the the real news channels that are supposed to be covering, uh, I don't know, like just, Obama, like airstrikes in Syria or something. Prince Robert is a young soldier, and I just feel like when you know a soldier passes away, you're bombarded with all those patriotic images of them in uniform. Although, uh, and this will come up uh, quite a bit later on in the season, and I'm sure Zach and I will get to it. Um, the details of Prince Robert's death are not made known to anyone, really, at first. Not his family. Um, and it's hard to tell how much anyone knows about what happened to him. We find out that he died in a military accident, but even that is incredibly incredibly vague to backtrack a little bit we have this incredible montage of um the princess eleanor and her twin brother liam uh liam is flirting with his girl named ophelia because (laughs) we told you that there would be hamlet references eleanor is partying while that song that girl is a problem plays in the background because this show loves super super on message music choices Mm -hmm. so we cut in between liam and ophelia doing it and eleanor partying and ultimately falling off a table and flashing her vagina (laughs) there's no better word. The press calls it a beaver, but I think that uh, oh. that's not my favorite <laughs> I, word. I use the word fanny. I guess that's a British. Oh yeah, I can lean on Britishisms now. I love it. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> the tabloids get a crotch shot of her. So she walks into her mother's office the next morning after her father, King Simon, who's definitely like the nice parent, has expressed concern for her. And her mom is like laying into her for the press getting this you know, underwearless shot of her. And Eleanor is the one who has to deliver the news to her mom that her older brother is dead, which yeah. I found to be quite shocking, to be honest. Um, just quickly, those like the, the tabloid thing as well, that is kind of more reminiscent of uh, when Prince Harry uh, was like naked in Las Vegas or something and someone leaked the pictures. Oh, I remember. Oh, I thought you were going to say when he was dressed as a Nazi that time. Uh, no, no. No. Shush. Let's focus on the butt pictures, please. Some positivity. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like royal royal genitalia is has been on the front of, um, you know, tabloids. And in that case, you know, um, Prince Harry is like the spare in that situation. And I think that kind of obviously Liam and Eleanor... Um, being the younger children are they're the spares which is why they're kind of allowed to be a bit more 
kind of outrageous and kind of uh, they're not on the leash as much as you would have imagined Prince Robert would have been. I'm a little more liberal in their risk taking. Yeah, it's kind of just like a, a yet another kind of um kind of parallel to kind of the Diana stuff in that it's again like but both of Diana's sons have been in the military. Um you know, there's just little echoes of it throughout the episode, but but that kind of stood out to me is it's kind of like the reason that this prince and princess are allowed to kind of do whatever they want is because they they don't really matter. Um Yeah. And I, th- I think Eleanor kind of embodies that in the way that she behaves. Like, she kind of knows that she's royalty, but it doesn't really matter what she does. Part of me thinks maybe the reason they didn't show Robert in a picture is because they couldn't find uh, an actor who literally radiated light out of his pores. Because every <laughs> single time they talk about this guy, he is the best thing that has ever happened to the planet Earth. He There's loved an- you. He loved you. And he was insanely skilled at everything. He was like... Perfect picture of dignity, skilled at everything, so goddamn perfect and on point in all endeavors. And still only 23. Yeah. Ugh, I'm 23 and I feel like worthless <laughs> now. It's just a little bit bizarre because as an audience member, it's hard to mourn for Robert at all because we don't know anything about him besides that, like Zach said, apparently he was perfect. Um, but I actually think that his siblings do a pretty good job with what they're given in terms of mourning. Like when I was rewatching it tonight, it struck me that those two actors did a really good job in, um, their scenes together, especially like their scenes with each other. They have a really nice sibling dynamic. And I, if anything made me care about Prince Robert's death, I was seeing his younger brother and sister's reactions to it because, uh, Queen Helena is, extremely extremely cold and kind of uh reserved and withdrawn about the news and she says you know king simon tells her oh a mother is allowed to mourn the death of her oldest son and she says not if she's the queen but what could be more endearing to a nation than seeing a mother have to more in the passing of a child that doesn't make any sense to me it is she is a very very cold person she kind of went to the lucille bluth school of mothering <laughs> yeah. um so it kind of makes sense that i love all my children equally five uh hours earlier i don't care for eleanor <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i think that liz Hurley's kind of at a bit of a disadvantage in that um like vincent regan who plays the king um, oh, you know he he's he wonderful is, he is very kind of like when when eleanor arrives back from the club in the helicopter like landing in the grounds um like he he isn't like angry or anything he kind of you know he's just concerned and this, this kind of the same goes for kind of uh, liam um you know like he's concerned about his kids reaction to this death he and he you know there's there's a scene where you know jumping ahead a little bit where they're in the limo and uh, Helena slaps Liam, um, you know, and no one moment... knows how to act at a funeral. Helena slaps <laughs> Liam and then Liam's like, I'm going to ask a girl out. It'll be fine. But the king is like still kind of like shaking hands with the crowd and kind of working the crowd. And there's a little moment with a child that I think is actually kind of a nice little bit of business where this child comes across the barrier and he hugs him and it's his son's funeral. It's kind of sweet. It's a nice little... I thought that was one of the more affecting, like actually emotionally affecting moments of the pilot. Yeah, I Um, I don't want to harp, but just um, there's a moment where Elizabeth Hurley and... Do you say her name was Alexandria Park who plays Eleanor? Yeah, Alexandria Park, yeah, is Eleanor. They're they're embracing um, and they look... They could totally be mother and daughter. Like the 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 casting in terms of everyone looking like relatives, I think is very good. Like King Simon and his brother Cyrus, who we'll get to. <laughs> oh, will we ever get to him? They look very much like each other, and um, it's very believable that um, Prince Liam would be his son. All that jazz. So why couldn't they find someone to look like that family and have him play Prince Robert in a picture? Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I'll stop talking about it now. But I just want to say, I think they did a great job with the casting. Um, And of course, the twin cousins who are about to show up, they're they're also great. Um, And they totally visually fit with like the... 
am I thinking of the Duchess of Ferguson? <laughs> Sarah Ferguson, Duchess of York. Sarah Ferguson. I'm not saying she's like that. I'm saying um, there's that that like redheaded look. Not that that's her personality. Yeah, I I have a feeling that like Maribel and Penelope are meant to be Beatrice and Eugenie, but Beatrice and Eugenie aren't known for being like vulgar. Um, yeah, you know they're 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 like I mean essentially no one really knows them because you know they're like seventh or eighth in line or something so like no one really cares about those royals. I think the act like the actresses that play those two roles, um, in particular Penelope, who's played by um, Lydia Rose Bewley, who's who's on a few shows over here, um, and she's like you know she's quite funny. Um, she's the what she's she gets the she gets the final line as they leave later in the episode where she goes your breast smells like a fart and that's that, and that's that's Lydia Rose Bewley. Uh, I'm chuckling in spite of myself. <laughs> but I think Hattie Preston does. Hattie Preston is the one who asks her like she's like what's that smell and she's like I think that's your fanny. And I don't I don't think that Eugenie and Beatrice in real life kind of like are ever that crude. I like this just seems like particularly like the red hair is obviously. You know, it is. You are meant to be thinking about Sarah Ferguson. Um, yeah. You know, like that's that's the, like that's the most obvious thing here. But you know, there's there's no way that Cyrus is anything like um, any of the Queen's sons, like in real life. There's no parallel there. None of none of the none of the Queen, not Andrew, not Edward. Then none of them are kind of as um, you know scheming as uh, as Cyrus possibly is probably before we get to Cyrus in particular who actually shows up semi late in the episode um, we should probably at least mention Ophelia a little more because I think she's kind of halfway to the main character of the show really do you think well, so she's, I mean she's a pretty major focus I think she's sort of a, a lens through which Americans can enjoy this show like she's their uh, what's it called um the 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 character they can imagine themselves as I think is her Mary intention. Mary Sue Mary Sue that's the word I was looking for there. oh my gosh yes okay so oh my god Ophelia <laughs> uh, I love the circumstances of Ophelia's life mostly because she lives in a giant clock tower attached to the palace <laughs> I am pretty dumb so the first time I saw that for a second I was like is that supposed to be Big Ben and then I was like <laughs> of course not that's stupid <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's like the Great Mouse Detective um so. Ophelia's father is the head of palace security, which is a job he takes extremely seriously in all of his <laughs> scenes. We know that he is taking his job extremely seriously. Um, and we get the interesting little tidbit that her mother, his wife, who is an American, hence Ophelia being an American, having an American accent, um, kind of died in the line of duty, I guess that's not really the right term. Somehow she was with her husband and uh, there was some, perhaps some sort of botched assassination attempt and she was killed about a year ago. And I think we're meant to understand that's about the point um, that Ophelia made the more permanent move from America to England. I think the sense I get is, um, and this might've been also informed by later episodes, but I don't think they ever get into this too deeply is that the father saved the somehow was focused on saving the king instead of his wife when some kind of incident happened yeah and that's she ended fair up dying is the sense i get yeah i think you just need to know that like he's a widower and i mean it is a line that i think ophelia kind of like yells at him later in the episode where he basically hasn't had any time off since he's been widowed um and he and hasn't so, like, taken any time off yeah, so he, he he basically just he lives his job, and that's the only thing, and that's kind of why he doesn't um, he doesn't want Ophelia getting involved with Liam, um, you know, kind of uh, the fact that like uh, I mean he finds he has that line at the beginning where he he says he he had to find out through one of his men, um, you know, so like he's he's constantly on well, the job, and you know, it's Marcus. It's Marcus, who yeah. I'm assuming he found out through. Um, after we have that amazing montage of Liam and Ophelia grabbing each other's bits, um, there's like a morning after where he's asleep on her ass using like using yeah. her butt as a pillow. And I was like, <laughs> okay, you know, like, all right. Um, and uh, Marcus, who is Liam, is he Liam's bodyguard or are they just like, bodyguard, yeah, he's Liam's yeah. bodyguard. Okay, so he's Liam's bodyguard. 
he's close with Ted. As we will find out later, he's definitely interested in Ophelia. Um, He walks in on the two of them and has to deliver the news that Robert is dead. And I'm guessing he tattles to Ted, which is his job. (laughs) But if I were Liam, I would be like, dude, seriously. Yeah. Is that his job, though? His job is to keep him safe, not to reveal. Ophelia doesn't pose a threat to Liam. I mean, you know. As she makes clear to, you know, um, her father, they had safe sex. So Yeah, um, they, like, make know, a really big point of that. Like, there's a lot of discussion of that. And I was like, I guess this is for the teens in the audience. Like, <laughs> yeah. practice safe sex. But um, I need to talk about something that happens in this scene. And Darren and I have talked about it before. So... <laughs> I'm laughing just thinking about it. It's so bizarre. So there's this pretty serious scene between Ophelia and her father, Ted, where they discuss her relationship with Liam and how that plays into his job and her mother's passing. And then Ted is leaving and Ophelia goes, you forgot your phone. And he turns back to grab his cell phone and we see a female hand pick up a cell phone and all of a sudden we're in a scene with Eleanor and she's holding her phone. And it's just like a super weird, like, artsy directorial choice out of nowhere like ted's hand reaches out and then eleanor's hand comes back into frame with a phone it's like is it i I don't know why they did it and it's certainly not important to the plot but i just needed to throw it out there because (laughs) it's weird yeah Um, it's it's a it's like i can understand like like some of the match cuts that they do in this episode but that's just one of the weirdest kind of things to do i guess I mean, there's another thing in this episode. There's narration in this episode, and there never is oh, in yeah, any other is. episode of the show because there's this actually this shot that I love. It's visually gorgeous of um, Liam running through the palace, like running across that checked floor after he finds out that Robert dies, and we hear Ophelia's voice being like, "I'll never forget the look on his face. That boy who just found out that he was second in line to the throne, and then his like, brother like was dead. The boy who just lost his brother, and the man who just became the king, or something like that. And there are definitely episodes later on where we hear someone talking, but then we cut to a scene of that person talking, and like we just heard their voice before. This is actual narration." And I don't know that it ever happens again. I mean, I'm going to guess that they shot the pilot a little bit before the rest of the series. And maybe this was something they were thinking about doing, like, in later episodes. And they just kind of kind of abandoned it. Yeah, like how um, the first episode of The Wire has that flashback. And then that never happens again. Spoilers yeah. for The Wire, asshole. There's a flashback <laughs> in the first episode. You better get ready. There's also kind of like a lot of... Um, one of my favorite things in TV shows is um, uh, exposition via newsreel. And like yes, all the, the yes. constant kind of like we like with the first we kind of find out details about Prince Robert. It's from, you know, like a kind of CNN equivalent of just, you know, polite British reporters telling us exactly who Prince Robert was. Like anyone watching the show would be like, oh, that Prince Robert. I, <laughs> until you gave me his entire biography, I had no idea who you were talking about. I will um, say it works better here than it could potentially in other things just because this episode is kind of about like public versus private mourning and so this is like the public side of that i guess but i i agree with you what you said though yeah they have shots of like flags at half mast and they you know um later on i don't think they do at the beginning but later on we see all the the pictures outside the gate and flowers outside the gate Mm. that kind of thing i cannot believe we have gone this long without talking about cyrus by the way who are we who are we so okay yeah so let's just run through all right so we introduce all the characters ophelia and robert have what look liam have what looks like a one night stand at first i would say i'll assume it was if i was marcus oh, but anyway I, I think it's supposed to be like like that was the first yeah, the courtship anyway. is short to say the least um but <laughs> The they find out Robert's dead. Everybody learns this, and then it's at the wake where we introduce Cyrus. Is it after the it's, funeral itself? Uh, no, it's no, before. It's before. Yeah, it's uh, essentially it would be when he was lying in state. Generally, when royals die, they have to lie in state for a period of time. 
and I think with Diana it was like four or five days. When the the Queen Mother died, it was like um, like six days or something. Well, we do that but with presidents, so. <laughs> yeah, so basically, I th- I think before they have like the actual funeral, there is the part where the crowds are gathered and it's kind of he's you know his body is lying in state. Yeah, well, he's looking out at the assembled crowd who are like there to mourn with the family. This is right before the scene we were talking about with the slap and with King Simon embracing a child, and Cyrus is like looking at the common people, just being like, "They're <laughs> I, disgusting." Like I can smell them from here. It's just so the, immediately evil. The actor who plays Cyrus is amazing, first of all. He has a super deep chin clef, and he has amazing eyebrows that he, like, really uses to his advantage. They're moving all around at all times, up, down, side to side. Um, <laughs> and he's just, like, he is Scar from The Lion King. He is, he is Scar from The Lion King. Yeah, it's it's funny, actually, because, um, like, Jake Maskell, which is the name of the actor, like, I don't know that I've ever seen him in anything else. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, he's a revelation here, because, you know, I mean, they could have been, you know, <laughs> I think they could have been a little bit more subtle with him, but I, I don't think there's any point. I think, you know, once he's on screen, they, you know, you it's know so straight heavy. away. It's, it's truly just... like a camp classic performance. It's oh like as God, if yeah. Tim Curry just walked onto the screen. And I mean, every time Cyrus is on screen, the energy level of the show, at least in my opinion, just like lifts. I think he does a great job. Of course, he's chewing the scenery, but that's really what the role calls for. Like, he's a very classically, like, wicked, salacious <laughs> villain. Like, he will fuck anything. He will fuck anything. Yeah. Anything. I think he he has the advantage in that he, he when he enters, he shares the screen with um, Eleanor, uh-huh. and they get a nice little back and forth, like, hurling insults yes. about, Which... you know, sexually transmitted diseases, whatever. Yeah, and I think... Her... That the yeah, syphilis I... will probably kill her. <laughs> yeah. So he's so just think... openly hostile with his family. <laughs> Look who's talking, Cyrus. Also, Cyrus, here we have the wicked uncle. And besides Ophelia, whose name is literally Ophelia, Cyrus yeah. Claudius. This is the most direct name translation over from the original story, too, because... God knows Gertrude and Helena, those don't exactly ring together. Um, but nothing about him is subtle. Nothing about him needs to be subtle. Uh, we see them at a family dinner. His disgusting daughters who barely act like humans. Like, they find out that Robert died, and the first thing they do is talk about Eleanor's, uh, you know, crotch shot to her, even though her brother just died. Like, they barely can function in the world. They're doing drugs under the table, and there's this maid who for some reason is serving the royal family of england in like a french maid costume (laughs) and cyrus is just like leaning back in his chair at this family dinner like checking her out yeah openly leering pretty much i think is she is she prudence i think is that's the the name yes that's the the character yeah oh prudence Uh, and we will be seeing plenty more of her this uh, episode and this season as part of one of several storylines in the show about sexual coercion and blackmail it's a running theme for sure i'm gonna say like after the death like the next kind of the biggest kind of plot point that happens in this episode happens at the family dinner yeah uh where you have you have for the first time all the characters are together uh, and kind of ophelia joins them um, uh, which you know, you have like a nice little back and forth between her and the king. Again, like Vincent Regan is like really good in kind of the different interactions that he has throughout the episode. Um, and I think like the little bit about him, kind of like they, they I mean, it, essentially it's exposition, but he they they deliver it in such a nice way that it doesn't feel like it when he's talking about like she drew a picture of him when she was younger and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know. So I think I think that's kind of like a nice moment when she kind of joins all the royals around this gigantic table. Um, they established that she made a picture of him out of like macaroni and glitter glue or something when she was a tiny yeah. child. So they've known each other yeah. forever. Um, okay, but, <laughs> I don't know. as you do for the King of England. Sure. Uh, no, um, it's cute. It's charming. It's. You know, she's the girl next door, but she lives next door to the palace, and they 
found some ways to kind of wiggle that in, and I, it, I, it actually is pretty charming. But the main point of this scene is that the king is like, hey, I'm thinking about introducing a referendum to potentially abolish the monarchy. Uh, and that's and, a major plot point for the entire season. Yes, and I actually think, I'm guessing, seasons to come as well. So since we have the advantage of having an actual, genuine <laughs> British person, TM, with us, lowly Americans, briefly, Darren, if you will, how possible would this be in real life? Not a referendum at all. Um, well, we've had <laughs> referenda in this country. We had, we had one... Um, uh, last year for the scottish independence oh right and yeah. uh, and we we had one um a, a couple of years ago about the voting system in this country but those like in the last 40 years those were the only two referendums that we've had uh and i've switched between saying referenda and referendums because i don't know the correct plural um and shame on right. you shame shame <laughs> shame yeah. um but you know, it, generally, if you if you want to propose a referendum, like particularly of this magnitude, um, then it would have to be in a party manifesto because it's got to clear the House of Lords, and you know that is essentially a bunch of people that have been appointed um, by the political parties. So, unless a political party had gone into an election saying what we want to do is get rid of the monarchy, then there's no mandate for the king to say, let's get rid of the monarchy. It just doesn't exist. Uh, you know, he's essentially the king's main job or the queen's main job currently in this country is to essentially rubber stamp bills uh, and take money from the public purse to fly around the world. Like those, that's all, that's all she's there to do. A weird thing about this show is that I feel like it overstates the importance of actually being the king and or queen by quite a lot. And yeah. the danger to the royal family is also incredibly overstated from what I can tell. <laughs> yeah, Ophelia lives in America because it would be literally too dangerous too to dangerous. live at the palace <laughs> with all the bodyguards and, and she's, guards she's and this security. little monologue near the end where she's like, uh, she talks about how she knows exactly how many steps from the elevator to his desk and his desk to his yeah. bed. Because every single night she waits for him to come home because that means he's safe for the day. Another day of guarding the royal family of England, which no yeah. one's... Like, what political gains is there to killing the royal family of England? It's They're like killing heads. a sports mascot. You yeah, know exactly. what I yeah, mean? Yeah, there is... I mean, I feel like you're putting our family down there. But yeah, I mean, there's no... Oh, there's no, I'm sorry. There's no, there's no constitution... Let's put it like this. There's no constitutional advantage in getting rid of the monarch. It does not make any like you get rid of one. There's a, there's, a, there's a long list there's of people who will one take over. Up. Yeah, right behind. I feel like Maribel and Penelope are the only ones who get it because they don't want to not be royals because they wouldn't have money. Like, yeah. they understand like, completely that which, like. That's why I, I, something I fundamentally don't understand about Cyrus. It's like Cyrus, you already you, you did it. You're set. Like you don't <laughs> need to be king. You got it. You got money. You got a plane. Wherever you want to go. I You're think good. the kind of the unstated theme of this kind of show is that the spares kind of like because Liam and Eleanor are spares rather than they were the like Robert was the heir like they're allowed to act a different way and that's the same with Cyrus because he's the spare um you know he feels undervalued he feels like he's just there just in case the king dies um and then also just in case Robert dies and also Liam and Eleanor so like um I think he's like fifth or sixth in line to the throne like so he's he's quite away from the throne at the start of the show i guess he'd be fourth yeah because it'd be the brother that died then the twins then cyrus yeah so he's like fourth in line but that you know it's still it's still quite a distance obviously now he's third in line um but i, I feel like you know even, even the, there are countries in europe where they have got rid of the monarchy um, in a way, and they have like a cons they have like a monarchy that is essentially um, elected in some way. I, I have a feeling it's somewhere like Belgium where this happens. Don't quote uh, me on that. Spain still has a king that has actual political powers, and I believe yeah. they're, uh, he's elected. That's because yeah, and, you know, that's and you don't you like you don't lo I mean you don't lose money um, over here. There's a thing called the ro the royal list. I think it's li known as, and it's just a list of like the people who are closest to the queen who get money from the public purse. And if you're outside of that, then you have to work. 
he he would be doing okay. Like even even if they got rid of the monarchy, he would still have a palace. He would still have like money that he's inherited. He would still have land. Um, you know, the royal family over here, like Prince Charles, is infamous because there's parts of Cornwall where he has like he has companies that make money for him. Um, you know, mostly by like selling biscuits and stuff like that. But he has he has a source of income. Um, and I think, you know, Cyrus, if he just spent some time, like, starting up a couple of businesses rather than plotting, uh, he would be okay. But even even if it was possible that the king could propose a referendum and they could get rid of the monarchy, he would still have some income from somewhere. He wouldn't immediately be destitute. Um, but again, this show, uh, they've, <laughs> they've already kind of muddied the water by having the king introduce this. So, you know, having Cyrus and and Penelope and Maribel be kind of like aghast at the fact that they would lose all their money if this went yeah, well, through. The the Penelope and Maribel are just they just want the money. They're not they don't have any further aspirations. No, I They're, mean I think I I guess uh that's what I meant by like they get it. They understand that like there yeah. isn't major major power at play, which seems to be more than I can say for the rest of the characters. Yeah, which is um, strange yeah. considering they're portrayed as like incredibly stupid. Eleanor and Penelope and Maribel yeah. uh, smoke weed in the throne room. <laughs> yeah, well, which is what we that, call uh, the is... Shannon Camp method of ruling, and they do some pills too. I think but Eleanor yeah. before that is just making a Union Jack out of different colored condoms, just hanging out in her room, almost completely. It's art, she must have been okay? there for a while. It's a statement about something sure, probably okay. yeah it's, sure it's some kind of art i got you Ugh. and it's really, uh, they get movie high because like they they maribel or penelope i can't remember which one talks about how like they can no longer feel their legs or like yeah. stand like it's stuff that doesn't have like if you've been high this is not how it works it's got to be life. the pills dude it's got to be I the guess. pills i guess even more uh unsavory perhaps cyrus coerces forces this maid prudence um i no, it's not that it's not definitely more unsavory i was like is the word coerces even fair is coerces too mild of a word Uh, i I think coerce is too mild yeah i i think um you know um, obviously he'd been eyeing her at the kind of dinner and then Uh when he has her in his room he kind of forces her i mean there's there's no kind of I mean, coercion makes it sound like she kind of had a choice, but I don't. Yeah, think that's has not a what I meant. He, yeah, she has no choice. Basically, in this issue. forces this woman to perform oral sex on him, and he's like, enthusiasm counts because he's all about the one-liners, and it's really, really, really gross. Uh, yeah, he basically says that if she doesn't do this, she will be fired, and she also notes, in addition to this, that she is poor enough that she is on benefits. So basically, he's threatening to take away her livelihood. Oh, hey, yeah, he's not a good dude. I mean, obviously the actor who plays him is great, so we've been singing his praises, but make no mistake, I'm definitely not into the sexual blackmail aspect of this show, which, wait for it, there's even yeah. more. Um, <laughs> so. I mean, before we before we get into, because that's kind of like near the end of the episode, but before we kind of get into that, the kind of thing that I feel we haven't spoken about too much, because... Even though it's one of the central aspects of the show, it's possibly the least interesting part of this episode, uh, which is Ophelia and Liam uh, and kind of the machinations of Helena to try and prize them apart. Uh, And then obviously, um, you know, Ted kind of agreeing with, you know, Ophelia that, you know, she can do whatever she wants. (laughs) So, well, at least Ted sort of has like his career at stake. So we can kind of understand like why he disapproves as much as he does. We yeah. hear, you know, Helena sort of allude to this other past girlfriend, Gemma, that Liam has, who we will meet um, for one of my favorite scenes in the first season, the roadhead <laughs> scene. Um, but that's for a later date. Uh, other than that, I don't really understand Helena's major problem with Ophelia. I mean, she's not Ted. she's not Ted's biggest fan. I guess there is that. But uh, Helena kind of 
bumps into Ophelia and starts dressing her down for having, you know, dared to have this sexual encounter with Liam. She threatens her father's job and she taunts her for having a dead mother. (laughs) And she, and she kind of, their conversation finishes with that kind of like, you know, the kind of like evil mustache twirly line of now curtsy before your queen. And it's like, the queen would never say that. Like, yeah, queen... I know. But, oh, but that exchange is so great. So I actually wrote it down in my quote section. Helena says, now curtsy to your queen and walk away. And Ophelia goes, I would, but my mother never taught me how. <laughs> it's so good. Uh... It's so good. There are some great one-liners in this show, for sure. I would say that's kind of like the highlight of, like, that kind of exchange is that kind of like final little thing. Otherwise, like you say, I have no idea why Helena is is dressing Ophelia down like so viciously to start off with. Like, I don't know why she's against Liam having casual sex. Like, Especially because like they were safe, as we know, because it's yeah. discussed at some length. <laughs> yeah. Um, although, I, I mean, like... I guess the only the only thing you could say is that you know Ophelia's a commoner and she's an American, um, and I, I mean maybe the, the the kind of the scriptwriter meant this, but this to me it feels a little bit like a kind of like Edward and Mrs Simpson type thing, where it's kind of like a commentary on um, you know a, a royal getting involved with a commoner. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's got to be it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It seems like another thing that the characters seem to overstate, considering he met this girl, what, like, the night or over the course of this episode is maybe two or three days. Like, there's no reason to believe this is going to be anything long term at this point. Well, except that at his brother's funeral, he asks her out and she's like, you should take risks more often. Like, she's into it. Like, if I read someone's funeral and they asked me, I'd be like, okay, honey, like, you're having a breakdown. So... (laughs) Maybe we could talk later because clearly, like, this is a cry for help. Re- I don't think the show sees it that way, but I'm saying if that happened to no. me in real life, you know, I yeah, wouldn't be I- like, ooh, sexy. <laughs> I will confess that for a major part of the show, I find their relationship to be one of the duller aspects of the show overall. Completely. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think that the actress who plays Ophelia is like, doing what she can with what she's got, but they have just given her so little dimension, especially when you compare her to Eleanor, who is a much more compelling character in terms of, like, the young women of the show. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'll say there's one more parallel, which I think Ophelia is meant to embody, other than Ophelia from Hamlet, um, which is, I think she's meant to be a Kate Middleton. Yeah, she oh, has yeah. the hair, yeah, if nothing so, yeah. else. I do yeah. think that Liam and Ophelia are kind of like a young Will and Kate vibe. Like, he's very got that sort of clean-cut British look, and she seems very similar to Kate Middleton in a lot of her, like, style choices, if nothing else. Obviously, living in this country, I probably, have, you know, heard more about this, but when they were first dating... Uh, Will, you know, uh, Will and Kate, this is, basically told the press to stay away from them. Uh, and so when they were at university, which was in Edinburgh, like, media weren't allowed, like, anywhere on campus. Um, and that's something that obviously this show doesn't bother with. They immediately, as soon as they, as soon as they agree to go on a date, they leave the palace and they're pursued by hundreds of reporters. A horde is the only yes. way to describe yeah. it. Yeah. And again, I think that's just, a, what, like, just one more little kind of, like, Diana echo of having the kind of, the the paparazzi like ever present um you know watching this relationship uh you know which was actually the opposite of will and kate you know we barely heard anything about will and kate in real life i think Um, there's at least a couple more things we need to cover uh yeah we haven't spent any time talking about eleanor and jasper yeah i also want to before after that talk about the scene on the balcony which well, that's a great way to transition from Ophelia's stuff to Eleanor's stuff because Eleanor and Ophelia... Are you talking about the scene where Eleanor and Ophelia hang out on the balcony Correct. together? Yes, that one. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. go for it, dude. Tell us about it. Um, there's a scene on the balcony. So, so far in the episode, part of the conflict 
uh, with Ophelia's character is that she has accused her father of being cold about the death of their mother, like he never really took a break from work or showed any overt emotion about her death. And she comes along, Eleanor, on the balcony. She is drunk, walking on the railing in front of the uh, the <laughs> backdrop they have there. Um, and they start up a conversation, and Eleanor tells her this story about, I don't know, shortly after her mother's death, she would go to the park, and this is weirdly in the script, she would go around stealing things from homeless people. So, okay. <laughs> and while she was stealing things from homeless people, she would apparently also watch people weep from a distance because she saw Ophelia's father every night uh, during her kleptomania phase um, crying uh, over the death of uh, Ophelia's mother, proving after all that she... That he had a heart. But also, she tells him that uh, the queen was hard on him about it. And when she told him to stop showing emotion over the death of his wife, okay, <laughs> an order you give to people, uh, he said something like, there are not enough tears in the world for my wife. You can deal with it or fire me or something like that. Doesn't he curse at her? Doesn't he say, like, "I'm"? he has some sort of quip, like, shove it up your ass that's not what it is but he i feel like he says something very <laughs> vulgar to her and that's what impresses eleanor she's like oh yeah swear words hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. um i wish I, I had the exact quote for that yeah but basically he tells off the queen and eleanor's like yeah your dad's a rock star i i mean merit patson does as much as she can with ophelia and i think the part is like a little kind of underwritten um, you know, um, just I like, agree. you know, Maribel and Penelope, essentially, you know, Hattie Preston and Lydia Rose Beerley, they do as much as they can, but they're I mean, written they're, as caricatures. They can't do yeah, anything jokes. else. Other they're, than... they're comedic relief. Yeah. And I think like out of the entire episode, like, you know, certainly, you know, my favorite character is Eleanor and, you know, Alexandra oh my Park God. does such an amazing job. She's the best. Know, kind of, She's uh, by playing... far my favorite character by far. Kind of playing a wild child at the start, but then kind of gradually admitting, you know, her vulnerabilities as the episode goes on. And I think any scene that she's in, like, I think that's Ophelia, that scene on the balcony is Ophelia's best scene because it's with Eleanor. And, you know, introducing Cyrus with Eleanor kind of gives him an advantage because he's there with the kind of best character. And later on, when Eleanor's in the kind of pantry eating cake... Uh, with the king who we haven't mentioned this but the king slips out of the palace occasionally uh, this is again, super important too yeah which he does they twice establish that yeah yeah he does twice during this episode and that is i mean there is absolutely no way that the head of state would be allowed to leave a palace and just vanish into he, the city by himself like he like that's... wears a hat and that is disguise like, oh it's not king simon <laughs> puts... that guy's wearing a hat His king simon incognito. would never wear a hat incognito yeah. newsy hat that he has he just goes as he, out as if every I mean, single person in the country doesn't have his face on the currency in their pockets like oh like who's that guy he looks like the guy <laughs> on this 20 pence piece like that th that's he does such it a weird at night darren it's a foolproof it's night. <laughs> and okay listen i lived in england for six months and not once when I was there was I walking down the street and someone made eye contact with me. Actually, the Brits <laughs> tried to avoid making eye contact under any circumstances. Like, go on the tube sometime. No one's going to look at you. King Simon could ride around on the London Underground forever and no one would, no one would bat an eye. Yeah. Um, That's an exaggeration, I mean... obviously, but you know <laughs> what I mean. Uh, you know, Londoners are, are known for their standoffishness. Um, no, it's like, not a bad thing. I mean, I enjoyed yeah. my time there so much. And everyone was super nice. I'm just saying it's not like in America where, like, you know, I live in the Midwest. So when I walk down the street, people are, like, very purposely trying to make eye contact with me. So we can, like, say, like, hello, how's it going? I, I didn't experience that in England. I mean, like, him slipping out is kind of, it's just introduced here. but it will And introduced with the weirdest scene. I mean, like, that bedroom scene with the Queen and uh, and his kind of, his bodyguard. His staffer. Just, yeah, that's so weird. A, Why uh, weird is she wearing, like super intense sexy lingerie like were she and king simon gonna do it right after the death of, of their, their son? son you know what the that scene is weird for not only that reason but so basically what happens is she's in there talking to who she thinks is simon 
about how, yeah. I don't know, he embarrassed the family or something. And uh, eventually she turns around in her lingerie and it is the head of staff or something. Just standing uh, it's there. His, it's his, I think it's his bodyguard, isn't it? It's his personal, it's like his manservant. It's yeah, the guy who's his, like, his you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, the thing about that scene that is weird is that guy, like, clearly could have said something at any point and <laughs> chose not to. And then he made a really... Then he, like, leers at her for a second and is like, it's good to be the king. Oh! <laughs> I think it's supposed to be comic relief. I honestly think that's so often the case with the Penelope and Maribel lines where you're like, no human would ever say this under these circumstances. It's because it's like they're aiming for, like, some really broad humor. But, yeah, so, like, as it's established, the king kind of slips out every now and then. Uh, that will become important in later episodes. In this one, it's not. It's kind of they get a couple of montages out of it, but it's not completely important. Yeah. Um, but you know, mostly, um, you know, you get the scene when he returns with Eleanor and the king, and they're like eating cake, um, and like kind of like that that kind of like kitchen cake scene with the kind of moment between them two. Um, you know, t- essentially the kind of like my two favorite kind of characters in the show. Mine uh, that too. Aren't, that aren't evil, but that kind of scene established kind of establishes the relationship between both of them. Where, like, he's not angry at anything she does; he's always just like concerned that she's happy. And she kind of admits, like, as the episode goes on, she goes from being kind of like this crazy, out of control wild child to someone who kind of finally admits that she is, you know, genuinely sad that her brother is dead. Um, and then, obviously, we get the scene with her kind of like at the gate. And then that kind of leads to the kind of the end, which, uh, you know, is that is, uh, I mean, kind of more less unsavory than the Cyrus scene. I don't know. I mean, well, real quick before we get to Jasper, I want to say what I think, you know, King Simon, Prince Robert and Prince Liam all have in common is that they believe Eleanor is smart enough to be capable of more than what she's doing now. And I think that's a fair assessment, too. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay, so we're just going to jump in with two feet, guys, and we're going to okay. try to be as, as you know, fair about this as we can. So, uh, we meet this bodyguard character who Ophelia has. Extraordinarily nervous, yeah. Extraordinarily nervous, extraordinarily nerdy. He's got kind of this, like, combed over hairstyle. Um, uh, she takes him down to the wine cellar and she's sort of flirting with him and he's not really responding because he's so nervous. She's the princess. You know, they fill up a box of wine, all that jazz. Later on, she goes clubbing and uh, takes him along as her bodyguard. And then the next morning, she wakes up in bed with him and, and another girl. Who just walks out. Girl. She's just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> just like, Bye. Up. The nightclub was in Paris too, so I don't know where that lady is going. <laughs> No, I, I, do you know, this is something that only occurred to me about like this, this, this kind of second time that I watched this episode. The nightclub isn't in Paris. It's called Paris. Oh, okay. so when they, when okay. they say, when they say, I'm going to take you to Paris, they mean that's the name of the nightclub. It feels like it's like mm-hmm. a step on thing, but like, okay. Cause that was confusing with like the helicopters and stuff. They have at some points that we see Eleanor in, they make it seem like she's like, literally traveling around Europe to go partying, but no, it's yeah. just, it's just E being adorable. Okay. I get it. So yeah. I just, we got to We just got to get this. We just got to tell what happens guys. So, yeah. uh, she wakes up in bed with Jasper, the bodyguard and this other girl, his disposition has significantly changed for one. He no longer has a British accent. So <laughs> there's that. He tells her that, uh, he drugged her and raped her and filmed it on his phone. And now it has like this sex tape of her to blackmail her with. And so he's going to stay on as her bodyguard because if she tries to fire him, then he will release the tape. Yeah. So that happens as we will find out later on in the season. And I mean, this is not going to be a spoiler-free podcast, guys. The season one's been out for a while, and I'm guessing if you're listening to this, you've already seen it. Um, but 
we will find out later on that that didn't really happen, which is good sort because of. it's unclear. Sort of, well, we'll 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 get to that in another episode. But yeah. um, I just want to say I'm I'm glad that at least exactly what Jasper described didn't happen because that is a fucking abhorrent plot point. And it's I remember the first time I watched this episode, like immediately taking a liking to Eleanor because she's really vivacious and yeah, like she's trouble, but that makes her interesting. To see this happen to her and have that, you know, almost be the end of the episode, it's kind of devastating. Like, it really sucks. There's no other way to put it. It's yeah. pretty brutal. Yeah, it's kind of like the equivalent on... It's kind of the equivalent of having, like, a like a procedural, and you get to the end, and the guy's like, oh, I've been found innocent. Oh, by the way, I didn't murder my wife. And then just, like, walking off. And you're like, that what? And I, it does feel like, kind of, it's ended with, like, a villain kind of getting the upper hand. And you're yeah. like, I, it's kind of, it's a weird, especially considering that this pilot is, you know, about 15 minutes longer than all the other episodes. It's weird that that's kind of like the note that they went out on. Yeah. And let's just be super, super clear to the show never uses the word rape. No. But no. what are we supposed to think? He drugged her and then forced her to perform sex acts on him. So, E, just because you don't use the R word doesn't mean we don't know what the deal is. Just yeah, wanted to yeah. throw that out there. I mean, it's clear from the, the kind of the scene in the club. I mean, certainly in the, in the beginning of the episode and also, you know, just before we get to this point that she is, you know, she's in no condition for anything. She initially believes that she was that she had, I guess, consensual sex with him while drunk before he says yeah. that he drugged her. And then he's like, wait, it's so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is just such a turn. Like. Honestly, I will say I'll give them that it was a twist I didn't see coming. Um, that's probably the most positive thing I have to say about it. We'll have to pay special attention to Eleanor and Jasper as Zach and I go through the show because yeah, um, I think the majority of that discussion is for later. Yeah, when we'll we'll talk about it more later on, kind of the politics of this relationship. Um, what's interesting to me about it is that it's almost its own separate entity apart from the rest of the story because a lot of the story really does tie into the themes of Hamlet, if not the exact plot, and pretty much all the characters, even down to, like, Marcus, the bodyguard, I'll talk about later on why I think he's going to be Laertes, um... There's a, at least a kind of vague Hamlet parallel you can make with most of the characters, with the exception of Eleanor and Jasper, who are kind of almost their own little entity. And as I started getting into the show last year, like being like, this show is super fun, it's really campy, there's a lot of stuff going on, and I started looking up stuff online. Um, almost all the fan-generated content I found was very Eleanor and Jasper-centric. So obviously they've captured at least part of the viewing audience's um, imagination or at least sexual appetite. Um, and yeah. there are two very, very good-looking actors that cannot be understated. I don't, I don't know if, to if Tom Austin, who plays Jasper, I don't know if he if he is American or if he's British doing an American accent or... Like, he does both accents very well. Got to give yeah, him that. Yeah, he kind of he kind of switches between accents, and obviously Alexandra Park is um, is Australian, and she's doing a very good. Uh, that kind shocked of like, me because yeah, she does a very good British accent. I think the action that she's doing is kind of classed as like she's a like a Sloan accent, which is kind of like Chelsea. It's kind of like um, yeah, it does seem more like yeah. uh, lower class than the other characters who are a little more posh or proper so that's yeah. kind of interesting and i think but obviously um uh, liz hurley just does her voice like that's, <laughs> that's just what she sounds like lucky yeah. her yeah <laughs> she's not great but what are you gonna do the eleanor and jasper revelation if you want to call it that takes us into yet another montage. I wish I had kept track of how many montages are in this first episode. Yeah. It is just relentless. Um, but this takes us to what I think is my favorite moment in the entire pilot. We see Cyrus and Simon on like a little hunting trip together. And yeah. they're talking about like what life would be like if yeah. you weren't royalty, etc., etc. Um, and so Simon walks ahead a little bit. And Cyrus lifts, levels his shotgun 
to the back of his head um, as if he's going to shoot him. But Simon doesn't realize, and Cyrus ultimately lowers the shotgun. But it's just, it's a great shot. It's a yeah, great it's moment. Well, it is pretty well shot. Because of everything that's happened in the episode, and because we don't know King Simon that that well as a character, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh shit. Like, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. 100% sure yeah, that exactly. he wasn't going to just shoot him in the back of the head. Um, but the tension is there. It's It, like, really shows their relationship so well, because even though... Cyrus is so jealous and resentful of him. I don't think he hates his brother as much as he wishes he could. Yeah. And they have this little exchange about how the king says that if he could have been anything instead of royalty, he would have been a fisherman. And then he's like, what would you do if you could have chosen your own destiny? And Cyrus is like, I would have been king. And that's when he raises the gun. Honestly, like, both these actors are just so good. Um, it makes me wish for more Cyrus and Simon scenes. And they look so similar. They really look like they could be brothers, except that King Simon has a much softer, gentler um, aspect to his face. After having kind of like the Eleanor Jasper stuff, I think them kind of having this scene with those brothers, because I think this is the first time where they're alone in the entire pilot isn't it like definitely this, this is, this is the, yeah and i think kind of finishing with them and that kind of line of what would you be well i'd be the king kind oh. of, i i think that kind of sums up like their entire relationship and the fact that kind of again it's kind of playing on this kind of like air and a spare thing and like obviously if you're the heir you're groomed from the moment you're born to be the king and if you're the spare no one cares about you and it's kind of like the, from the king's point of view this kind of wistful kind of like oh if only i could be a fisherman like that's only that's like kind of the position that like an older brother would have of kind of like oh i wish i didn't have all this responsibility and being yeah. king and all this kind of, whereas the younger brother is just like i wish you were dead and that kind <laughs> of like you know i think that's kind of that kind of relationship you know kind of reflects maybe you know like sometimes between brothers that's where it can be like it's like the older brother is kind of like and i'm an older brother myself is kind of like privileged and kind of has a certain amount of attention. And when you're the younger brother, and I have younger brothers, they're kind of always fighting for attention and kind of trying to make themselves, you know, known. And I think the fact that he kind of like the king's just like wistfully wanting to go out and fish, whereas Cyrus is desperately wanting to be king. And he can't believe that his older brother is just going to kind of throw this all the way. Because, and I don't think it, I think it's not even the money for Cyrus. I think it's the power that he's after. Again, the yeah. show overstates how much power oh, totally. a king has. The but title it, and the you, attention, maybe. Yeah, the and glamour I think, of it all. Yeah, and I th- I think that scene kind of really conveys what is going to be like one of the most important kind of themes in the next kind of like nine episodes, which is this struggle. Cyrus literally says. Long live the king. Like, he is Jeremy (laughs) Irons as Scar. It's so beautiful. Something we jumped over, but kind of there's an earlier scene with, um, maybe because it was a Liam thing and, you know, he's not that interesting. There's a little bit between him and Marcus where they talk about his name and his heritage. Um, And, you know, that's kind of something that will kind of return in later episodes. But here it's kind of just played as a joke where they're having a pint and he's like, "Yeah, well, you you know, you might not even... joke about him being illegitimate yeah and i think again that's kind of like another thing of like liam wasn't expecting to be you know where he is now which is kind of like the air he wasn't expecting to be in that position so i think having him kind of talk that through with his friend who's also his bodyguard and kind of being saying like oh you know like this is what i am now i'm i'm the heir to the throne and that's like a position he wasn't in that you know his brother was previously in um, you know, there's a lot of kind of like parallels, particularly with the fact that, you know, the Robert who was the heir has died. I think there's a lot of parallels between, you know, who wants the throne, who wants the responsibility, who wants the different positions. Um, you know, so I think that's that's kind of an interesting scene that kind of along with this this scene of Cyrus and, and the king. So the the closing image of the episode is Ophelia and Liam putting on their super <laughs> hip sunglasses and grabbing yeah. hands to face the palace paparazzi together as Helena looks on. So that kind of brings us full circle with what I think this episode is about, which is the whole public versus private life aspect um, and I already said mine because it's Cyrus leveling the shotgun at Simon's head. But I wanted to ask you guys, what was your favorite moment of this episode? I know it's tough because there are a lot of good choices. Well, I confess, particularly the first time through I watched the episode, um, 
This time I was not actually looking at the screen during that moment, but it's one of the ones I've remembered since the first time I watched it, which was months ago, is him leveling the shotgun at the head. I have a, f- a fondness for Eleanor walking on the railing of the balcony. I don't know why. I just oh, yeah. Like, I, I, she, I just, yeah. And she has that great line, I'm just a bitch with money and power. I do make yeah. it look good. <laughs> I enjoyed that. I, and I also enjoyed the little child moment uh, that I mentioned yeah. earlier. That's really nice. I agree. I think, I mean, we're a little hard on Liam because he's not the most interesting of characters, but I think when he he's kind of like nervous about giving his speech, like he's he's got like a little speech to give before the crowd. And I think when he gives that speech, um, like they have the newscaster does something that no new ca- newscaster would ever do. You just don't approach members of the royal family and ask them direct questions. But she does. And she's like, you know, basically like, what, what, what thoughtful words are you going to say now? And then points the mic at him. And I think like that little moment, I think he kind of delivers it well. And you kind of, you do genuinely feel that he kind of, he misses his brother. Uh, but also he, he's a little overwhelmed by the position that he now finds himself in. And, you know, I think that's kind of a slightly quieter moment, but obviously everyone loves that shotgun shot. Cause that is, you know, Ugh. that's a well, that's a well-assembled. Chills. You know, I think that at the very least, you know, as over the top and kind of not correct in terms of how the monarchy works, like, you know, they do go to the trouble of, of, of kind of having some really great shots. And I think that's like one of the better ones in this episode, at least. For what it is, which is, you know, E's first reality show, um, the show is much more visually beautiful than I ever expected it to be. Like that shot of Liam running through the palace. I mean, part of it is having the palace, which I don't know if we mentioned it yet. It was um, Winston Churchill's birthplace, I believe. Yeah, he's also he's also he's also buried there. It's yes. Ble- it's, Ble- it's Blenheim Palace. It's in Oxfordshire. It's kind of like yeah. northwest of London. Briefly, I think they... you meant to say E's first scripted show. However, let's be honest, not really, but the first one oh, they're calling a scripted show. Okay, but... haha. <laughs> Very true. But you know what I mean? Their first foray into the world of, you know, true fiction, if you will. Um,. I mean, they do make I, good use of Blenheim Palace. It is, that's you what know, I was going to say. They make yeah. excellent use of that location, and it really, really goes a long way. Um, even stuff like the memorial to Robert at the Palace Gates. Again, why no pictures of him there? But it's, <laughs> it is affecting in its in its own way. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm glad that. You know, thanks for sticking with us, guys, through this extra long uh, pilot episode of the show. Because now that we've gotten over the hump of Robert's death, we can get into the really crazy shit. And we're just going to, you know, get down in the (laughs) muck and the mire with these characters. Because, yeah, there's a lot of stuff's going to go down. I think that's going to wrap us up. Are we... I think so. Long live the king. We did it. We got through our first episode. Good job, team. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Darren. Uh, I really appreciate having an actual, living, real British person, which is more than some of the cast members can say, on the show. (laughs) It's my pleasure to join you. Yeah, so I think that's going to wrap us up. Uh, I have been Zach Powers. And I will continue to be Shannon Camp. And thank you for joining us on our first ever episode of Stage of Fools, the unofficial Royals podcast. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis.